Welcome to the Rehab Lab. I'm your host, Joe Lemon, and this podcast is sponsored by the Pizer Wave 2, powered by Elevation Medical. Today's special guest is with Dr. Bonnie Wright. Dr. Bonnie Wright is a veterinary anesthesiologist and a pain management specialist. Now, this combination uh, really allows her to provide some unique insight on how modalities such as acupuncture and focused shockwave therapy operate very similar through that process of mechanotransduction. I learned so much about the science and kind of how healthcare providers are looking for other non-pharmacological options have looked to her to really help understand the science behind it. So with that being said, I know you guys are gonna enjoy this one. It's one of my favorite convos with Dr. Bonnie. Okay, let's get into it. I got into rehab in part to promote some other people in the area, but it was through acupuncture. Hmm. So I got into acupuncture because I needed another and it is something better for chronic pain. Yeah. Because our anesthesia drugs are really good at perioperative pain, wow. but not so much at, at long-term pain. Yeah. So I got into the rehab world through acupuncture. And then because I see the world through this pharmacologic lens, because I'm an anesthesiologist, yeah. it's been my role to then teach how non-pharmacologic things work through the same receptor systems oh, oh, this is... as the drugs. And so, right. So it's different than probably a lot of people you talk to today. Okay. And so you, you've been doing this for how long? Did I mean, because this is great. Because this, this ties um, into so much. 2007 of the... was when I took the acupuncture course. Okay. And so I then did end up taking a rehab course in part so that I could fill in for the people that were working with me doing rehab. Yeah. And then I moved my acupuncture course over to a different program that teaches rehab. So then I took their rehab course so that I knew how they taught. So anyway, I've ended up in rehab, but it was a, a bit by and by. I, uh, I have a lot of questions already. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we'll well, what's fascinating about. is that yeah. a huge piece of how acupuncture works is mechanotransduction. So we know from the work of Dr. Langevin that when you put a needle in and you twist it, it's actually the collagen that grabs the needle. Mm -hmm. And you get this huge mechanotransduction through the fascial network. Hmm. And that that is what conveys the signal to a nerve. And shockwave is working through mechanotransduction. So instead of using a needle to do that, you're using sound waves to do it. So it's incredibly associated with acupuncture just on a much larger scale in a way. Oh, I'm, I hope that we're recording. Man, that's phenomenal. Let's just dive right in, Bonnie. Yep. That's a conversation that we have so much on the human side. When people right. ask me first, right. when I first started in the space almost eight years ago now, they said, uh -huh. all right, focus sound waves. Ultrasound, right? Right. And I'm like, right. no, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. Two different yeah. waveforms, yeah. totally different. Yeah. This is lithotripsy. Injury. Yeah. This it, is this is a very different use of sound wave. That's right. Yeah. And so, but what you, how you articulated it, how it's like acupuncture right yeah it's something that i've honestly been struggling to articulate well for years now so do you, do you mind breaking that down so people understand that process and how that's similar again okay so what we learn about a lot 
in veterinary medicine, and probably part of what you've been running into, is we learn a lot about receptor-mediated chemistry. Because most of our drugs, with the possible exception of inhalant anesthesia, works through receptors. You put in a drug, it goes to a receptor, and it causes a receptor-mediated effect that opens channels or changes flow into the cell. Mechanotransduction is actually something that every cell in the body can do. But instead of a receptor, you're actually bumping against the cell. And when you put physical mechanical forces on cells, they undergo changes. And they're all designed to do that. It's the reason the heart hypertrophies when there's too much pressure on it. It's the reason our tendons get stronger when we use them. So the body is designed to do it, but we just don't think about that as much. We all learned the word mechanotransduction. Yeah. But we don't spend much time thinking about it because our pharmacology isn't based on that. So that's, I think, part of of the the catch is then for me as a teacher of anesthesia which was all receptor based to then turn around and say well now I'm going to teach you about something that's I'm not putting a drug in the body hmm. but I'm still creating biochemical change in the body and the way I'm doing that is by deforming a cellular matrix and everybody tells me the word deforming has negative connotations. Sounds like it, but I think you're going somewhere positive here. So It is, yeah, yeah. right. Um, what I mean is that you're stretching it or moving it or bending it or you know putting pressure on the cells, mm -hmm. and that creates cellular changes in every cell. But the fibroblast system was designed for that. Right. Like, they are the most responsive to, to the, the pressure of being altered. And I would say mobilized, but kind of chiropractic owns that. Like a lot of the terms are sort of owned in other areas. Yes. So I'm kind of stuck with cellular deforming or changing shape. And that's all I mean is changing shape, not looking well, I love the fact that grotesque. I, well, and I really love that you're bringing your background from anesthesiology into physical medicine. Because I think right. this conversation is one that's avoided because there's not a lot of people that kind of understand both sides of that table, right? Right, like, and, right. And, and having the body have its own biochemical cascade that's going to help improve that, how these tendons respond and how our cells speak to one another, I think is a, is a conversation that's not dove into deep enough. Right. Yeah, so so how's that been perceived by your colleagues? Are, are they like... Oh, it's, it's fantastic, but that's what I do. Like, my mission as an anesthesia educator is to show people how physical medicine modalities are using the same substrate what? and explain why. So it's taken years to, to get my language precise enough, I think, because yeah. it was, it's not something I could learn from somebody else. Like you, you have to figure out how to have that conversation and different forms of physical medicine integrate differently with that. But what I love about Shockwave is it is mechanotransduction. Like it's the same topic. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. And you know, um, all right, all right. Let's kind of back up a little bit then. Okay. How did you first come across shockwave therapy as a whole? What was your first introduction into that? Well, actually, when we hired some people into the clinic where I worked doing anesthesia, ER, and acupuncture, um, we hired a, a new vet who you've actually interviewed today, the SAGE group. Okay, yeah. Um, who brought in rehab and very quickly brought in the, the shockwave. So I definitely was exposed to it before I started thinking through those similarities. Mm -hmm. And we had one of the, you know, old school ones, not the nice PSO. One of the, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. But- um, yeah. One of the higher energy units. Exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so it was over time that I realized that. But also as a teacher of, of non-pharma physiology, essentially, mm -hmm. 
always find that when there's a machine involved, for some reason, it's easier for people to wrap their heads around. Why? Why is that? What's your, what's your thoughts I don't on know. That? It's like the laser. You're putting photons of light in. It might be that there's companies to fund it, yeah. where no one's funding acupuncture research because sure. all they could sell is needles, maybe. Sure. So it's possible it's associated with funding, but I think it's also this implicit bias in Western medicine that if, if there's this big fancy machine doing it and they do it on the horses next door. If there's technology there that is really hard physically, they can get right. around that. And so in a way, Shockwave is easier for people to accept because it's this big machine that somebody's promoting. Yeah, yeah. It's like another area that I talk about is thermal therapies like ice and heat. And if you have a fancy device that compresses and pushes ice to the system, like somehow that is science and the little frozen ice cube isn't, you know, it's so we have this implicit bias when there's a machine involved. Yeah, 100 <laughs> percent. No, it's 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 one of the it's one of the beauties of having a hard good. But then it's also the challenge when you're trying to articulate some of the simple things right. that can be done that are very beneficial. You know, right. yep. I was just talking yep. to Dr. Lisa Mason about the importance of just exercise and incorporating yes. into yep. shockwave therapy. Right. Yes. And it's, yep. it's easier for people to sign up for the shockwave than it is to sign up for the exercise afterwards. Yes, right? because it's like yeah. a discreet thing. And a, yeah, exactly. So yeah. When, whenever we think about um, and the reason why I was originally asking about that, because I, I was thinking that maybe um, you were using one of the you know older model high energy shockwave units like the Ocitron. That's what we used like on in the human side. It was like, okay. about the size of this wall. <laughs> and, oh, and, and it was no, like, I came in after that. I think <laughs> it was like early nineties, thirty times as strong. Okay. I mean, and it was like right. you do want, but you had to put everybody under. Right. Uh, right. It was so painful. Right. Well, and, and I was around for lithotripsy. Okay. Okay. Because yes. I'm an anesthesiologist. So, That's right. Yep. Yep. So I'm curious about that piece then. Do, do you know, because I've, I've heard this, but I haven't dove deeply into it. So maybe you can help I, me out, me and the audience. Um, when you add any type of anesthesia, uh -huh. when you do shockwave, does that slow down the biochemical effects? Are they oh, cascade? absolutely not. The anesthesia is a very central effect. Okay. And shockwave is happening very much peripherally at the side of the tissues. Got it. I mean, I'm sure because the nervous system is intact, there are some central effects mm -hmm. that maybe are affected by anesthesia, but what I'm really after with shockwave is a peripheral effect. Got it. Okay, so there is no like like slowing down of that biochemical cascade oh, just because oh, no. the, the the shockwave itself is mechanotransduction, and anesthesia is a neurologic, especially a central neurologic effect. So. Good enough. All right. Thank you for clearing that up. Then that's good. And so whenever you think about applying shockwave, right? Mm -hmm. Have you noticed um, that there's more of those, do those growth limiting factors compound over time? Like, because normally we always recommend, at least on the human side, doing four to six sessions. Have right. you seen those growth factors? Like, do they start to secrete more of those? Or as that tissue quality is better, or is it still? That is, that is a laboratory-based question that I cannot answer. Yeah. Um, with acupuncture, with shockwave, with exercise. Yeah. I am looking to change the individual's homeostasis in a way that it is self-sustaining. And it does take that homeostasis into a new place where it's better able to maintain itself. Mm -hmm. What I can't answer for you, is that because of growth factors? Hmm. Is that because I took homeostasis, altered it closer to something that was more normal mm -hmm. originally? Because when we're injured, we, we develop a new homeostasis to cope with that injury. Right. And with these modalities, what I'm trying to do is create enough change in the body that the body can get back to something closer to what its original homeostasis was and reset this new one that isn't as functional. 
you know, it's funny. Like, as I'm asking the questions, I'm thinking like, I think those are the wrong questions. <laughs> right? Like, I'm, I'm thinking through a very um, a U.S. based, like, symptomatic type of like treat this element only, not the holistic right. approach. I mean, right. I mean, and when you think about using shockwave therapy, is it more of a holistic piece, even though it's happening in that area, or is it something that, um, for instance, like we we had some studies we're doing on, on the human side. Uh, for healthy athletes, and they're treating non-injured tissue right. as a way to increase more circulation throughout, throughout the body as a warm-up activity. Right. Have you seen any of those type of studies being done at all, or any, any things after that piece? No, not really. And my approach to all of these things is very neurophysiologic. Yeah. So. Am I dealing with the whole being? Yes. Yeah. Is it holistic spelled with just the H? Like good energy and chi and karma? Yeah. I can't see it through that lens because yeah. I'm a scientist. 100%. So for me, yeah. yes, if I'm altering basic central nervous system homeostasis and the individual is feeling better, mm-hmm. is that what you mean by holistic? Or do you mean something a little bit more No, French? I mean that. No, no, no. Okay. I, mean, I mean, is it... Okay something that's impacting the whole body. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 No, I think that the nervous system is intricately tied in with the myofascial system. You cannot separate them. Hmm. And yes, I may be using shockwave to treat peripherally, but it's very likely that I am getting some central effects from them. When I put an acupuncture needle in, I can measure the effects peripherally, spinally, and centrally. Hmm. So I suspect that there's some truth to that for shockwave too, even though my focus for it is usually these more peripheral processes. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so you know the um, the the art when it comes to doing acupuncture. Yeah. And that's what you're speaking towards when you say we're targeting certain areas, but then you can measure them throughout the whole body for for the most part. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the science of acupuncture. Yeah. If you if you choose to measure a particular neurotransmitter, yeah. you can put in needles and track that neurotransmitter in different locations of the body, or you can do a functional MRI and track that. Mm-hmm. And so even though you're treating in the peripheral nervous system, you can measure central effects. And then acupuncture is also very neuroanatomically based. Mm-hmm. So in those cases, you're also choosing spots that tend to have a much bigger central effect, whereas with something like shockwave, I am choosing muscle tendon groups. Right. And so I'm choosing spots that tend to stay more peripheral and have a little less central generalization. Got it, got it. Does that make sense? It does, a thousand. And you know, when, I, when we think about the use cases for using mechanical energy, right? Yep. Um, What's some other combinations that you're seeing, like a multimodal approach? Using it with other light therapies, using it with other biologists as well? Have you? Yeah, so I tend to use Shockwave a lot in my world for tendon injuries. Yeah. And because of my time in rehab, I, nobody was imaging shoulders and iliopsoas and tendons in my area. Yeah. Because I do small animal, and the equine people just wanted to do the horses. So I was forced to learn how to do that. And so I learned how to do ultrasound with injections at the same time. 
So I tend with tendon injuries to go ahead and inject with biologicals, usually platelet-rich plasma of one variety or another. Mm -hmm. And then I often follow up with shockwave. So in my tendon injuries, very much. Long-term follow-up, I love it if they get laser and acupuncture. So there is a very integrative approach. Of course, that messes up our science a lot, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, but it's, yeah. it's hard to kind of keep it dialed in. I'm yeah. sorry, I told them maybe yeah. you have too many um, times, right? I mean, veterinary medicine is often a self-paid world. Yeah. So you do sometimes get to be more, a little more pure and yeah. not put everything in the pot because of that. Yeah. Um, because finances will sometimes dictate. They can afford, I won't do the injection if they can't do the PT because that doesn't go well. Yeah. So if I'm doing an ultrasound and an injection, they need to follow up with PT. If in that PT they are able to do ultrasound or um, laser or shockwave, that's great. But generally, I'm so busy. It's somebody else doing that part anyway now. So, Beautiful. Yeah. So uh, one of the conversations that I've been really uh, having a lot of fun with is Agmodic combining shopping with DRP. Right. What's your scientific approach to well, I used to do yeah. the shockwave before the PRP, and then the studies came out that yeah. showed that when you shockwave after the PRP, you may get more release, more immediate release of growth factors. So I swapped about five years ago. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I saw. So it's funny because you're right. That it's constantly kind of like a yeah before after, and yeah. I saw one re most recently um, where they're doing it during. They're doing an injection, they follow it immediately. Right, that's what I mean okay. by... Okay, so like immediately after. I used to if I was doing both yeah. shockwave, and then I would drop the PRP and inject. Mm -hmm. Now, if I have something like uh, a working dog, an agility dog, someone that I definitely want to just put everything in line, Yeah. then I will ultrasound, I will inject PRP, and I will shockwave all during the same anesthetic. And wow. then they are supposed to follow up with shockwave after. Gotcha. Um, a lot of pet dogs, I start with the ultrasound and PRP because I can do them both under the same mm -hmm. sedated event. And then in those, sometimes I don't add the shockwave unless they come back and they didn't get better as well as I expected. And I'd say 80 to 90% don't come back. Really? If I, if I do my PRP and my injections and they do rehab properly. Yeah. But for the 20, 10 to 20% that come back, I say, okay, yeah. yes, I will re-inject but this time we're following up with Shockwave and seldom do one of those come back again. That's awesome, that's yeah. great. Yeah, and I'm curious about where you see some of the science going now, like as far as, um, I've been hearing a lot about doing some joint injections, as far as having, having that cushion in there. Have you experimented with any of those yet at all? Not really. I, When I have the choice, I tend to be somewhat data-driven. Yeah. I don't always have that choice in my world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but even like the old school's steroids and hyaluronic acid, we just, they've been around so much longer yeah. that I have so much more data. Sure. And once that data catches up, I'm very happy to, to step into the new thing, but I am not the first person to try things. I like whenever possible to have a little more information, mm -hmm. especially when there's potential for harm and a joint injection is there. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the data on people for joint injections, just literally sticking a needle in the joint has this huge effect mm -hmm. in terms of recovery. Mm -hmm. Like, are we actually creating a biochemical change or is it attitude, is it mental? I, I don't know. Yeah. But it's, it makes it very hard to sort out, is PRP better than hyaluronic acid, mm -hmm. better than stem cells better than some of these new products that are out like 
nobody can answer that question on the human side and there's a lot more data. Yeah. So I just think it's we're behind and it takes time. Yeah, you know, trying to get the, trying to have enough data to make a good decision for a clinic seems to be a, a real challenge these days. Because yeah, because the because the data is pretty messy. <laughs> well, and on the vendor side, I mean, <laughs> yeah, 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 we yeah. know that there's all of this problem on the human side where where people don't mind repeating studies. Yeah. We don't have enough funding on the veterinary side. If once somebody's done a study, nobody repeats it. Interesting. Because there's not enough funding for somebody to repeat the same study. Hmm. And so you never get to do that thing where you actually validate previously done studies. And so some crazy stuff keeps getting done. And some stuff that might be really good never makes it in. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because that's one of the biggest challenges that there's enough of that out there. So people don't right. even kind of know. Okay, yeah, one good case right. study that has some flaws probably. Right. Right, in it, and people kind of run around, the guys like me to run around the whole country. Right. And like tout right. that around. And right. Sometimes it's great, but sometimes that fills out within right. and then five I, years after the funding yeah. comes up. And then, very, and then I think you very much also have to weigh in the potential for harm. Yeah. And when you have good data, then it's worth taking some risk. And when you have poor data, I think you need to be even more careful with that potential for harm because, you know, the stakes are just different. Yeah. So that's, I try to base every medical decision I make on that balance, which isn't always a comfortable balance, but. Talk about light therapy, because that's something that's been going on for years. Seems to speak data about it. Yeah, so something I've struggled with a lot because <laughs> there's all the different wavelengths, all the different yep. um, probes, there's super pulsing, there's not super pulsing, the, the data's a mess, Yeah. but it's a machine. Yes. And so everybody, was like, oh, we can do physical medicine. Like I, my, I'm grateful to the laser companies yeah. for actually making people realize that you don't have to put a drug in the body to get anything, to get everything done. Good point. And so that's the good part. The bad part is that the data's all over the place and you can't really apply what you, what one laser company spends the time to get some data, but it really only applies to their unit. Right. And, and so then you just don't know how does that apply to the other units. And so it becomes a marketing game. Mm -hmm. As a marketer, one of the things I uh, struggle with is when I see some marketing pieces of flyers, you know. Right. And you're like, okay, this is a, a such and such waveform. This waveform right. pulse, like you said. Yep. And yep. you're like, okay, great. And for the longest, I struggle because... Um, I'm kind of the type of guy who needs to know that there's going to be an immediate impact if I'm going right. to right. be a pain right. you know, patient, right? Yep. Like I want to know that there's going to be some type of result right. that I can hang on to and hopefully right. improve the quality over time. And I, I didn't get that immediately. So I, right. I would go around and say, I am not sold on lasers, and I would just right. go off on my tangents and people looked at me. <laughs> kind of. But then I, I saw it being used on open wounds. And then I was right. like, okay, something's happening. Right. Is the light penetrating deep enough? That's up for debate. But if when it gets to the right. source, I mean, it's clearly Oh, yeah. It's hard to argue when you actually see the clinical results for sure. And wounds are an obvious thing. And That's right. it obviously penetrates deep enough there. Right. If you super pulse it, does it go deep enough to get into someone with hair, dark skin, and right. down to their tendon? I don't know. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I, I was with, I was a one um, NBA team. They had extra shockwave, and they were doing this super high-power laser with it. Right. And... The guy left the laser on accidentally, uh -huh. and then there was a manual next to it that burned through the hole through the manual. Right. And I'm just like, man, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, like if you burn a hole through the manual, I'm like, I don't know if that's going what I'm going to put on my body right now, you know? Right. Um, well, I mean, that's why there are like stop 
you know, that's, that's, yeah. that's why, you know, there, but yes, I mean, with almost everything we do medically, there's potential for harm. Yeah. And so it's keeping that eyes wide open for that, I think is really important. And just, you know, there was actually a really good lecture here on weighing the evidence with your emotional attachments to things and that tendency for bias. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I think it's a really important conversation because we all in this world have to tread into things where the data's not good enough. And that's yeah. true in veterinary medicine anyway, period, yeah. with very few exceptions. Yeah. But it's a little clearer on the evidence side when you're dealing with non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, mm -hmm. a quick surgical fix for something like a TPLO for knees. Sure. Um, or things that you can do just one little thing and immediately get your results. That's right. Almost everything rehab, everything, almost everything chronic pain, there are too many variables and we'll never have good data. And so you end up on the belief side of that equation more. And I think you just have to make the best decisions you can. I mean, it, we talked about PRP. Yep. Sort of like, which PRP should I use? The one with lots of platelets, the one with a median amount? Should, you know, like, we really don't know. One of the guys that I first learned from on the equine side, I said, help me understand where to go with this, just like the laser conversation. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, don't quote me. Sorry, quoting mm -hmm. him. I won't tell you his name. But you could probably spin down plasma and get a good effect. Yeah. And it's like, really? Like we're weighing all these different machines and it's, it could, you know, that's the problem is these good ideas. Yeah then sorting out, okay, adding photons of light, the lasers, seems to do these good things. Yep. How about all the equipment around that? And what's, is there really one that's better than the other? Or, you know, and, and we have the same problem with Shockwave. 100%. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. So I, I repeatedly say this to people, because uh, you know, there's three different pattern ways to go about making that focus. Yep. yep. Focus um, sound waves. and. You know, sometimes I get into these conversations with people that are evaluating different tech, you know, devices. I'm like, our bodies don't know the difference, honestly. Right. right. I mean, if the energy is the actual same, if the, if the depth of penetration is the same, right. how would I know if it's produced right. by A Machine universe? X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Yep. I mean, yep. like, yep. our bodies yep. can't tell that. So right. the other stuff is great marketing. And, and, and I love it as a marketer, right. but we got to be able to see through it and look right. at what it is for what it is. Well, and the fact is with machine-based therapies, mm -hmm. When a company does do the research, then you know, okay, with this machine, here's what I can expect. Right. And it may not then tell me how to translate that same thing to another machine, but at least the basic concepts do. Sure. And if I can then say, yeah, for this shockwave machine, I'm basically getting mechanotransduction at about this level when I aim it at about this location. Mm -hmm. With machine Y, I'm getting more generalized waves, but some of them are getting down to there. You know, you can, you just, you have to stay thoughtful about the actual physiology of what you're doing. And that's, of course, where I come from, because I'm not working for any particular company. That's right. And I'm out there trying to teach the world how these things actually work mm -hmm. so that people get it and that it's not just some sort of voodoo. Well, it's really important that you're doing this because I think being able to dissect between your own bias, like in my right. own, you know, yep. I'm with the company, so I'm right, biased. Right. <laughs> you know, yep. but like, yep. we have that bias going on. We also have this, what we know is like, right. I was raised this way, yep. I, my people I love taught me to do it this way, right. so therefore I'm in it on this, right? Yeah, yeah. Right? I yep. mean, I, I think that all those things are things that are important conversations to have when we're trying to figure out what's right. best for the patient. Yeah. So that's what it's here for, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, your talk today. Yeah. No, it's small, I'm sorry. 
The, the lab is tomorrow. The lab is tomorrow. My okay. talk today was um, neuromodulation and mechanotransduction in acupuncture. Okay. And yesterday it was the physiology or the science behind non-pharma. Non-pharma, okay. So yesterday was general non-pharma. Today was mostly acupuncture. And tomorrow I just go through a bunch of modalities. How's it being received as far as obviously you're okay. one in the front? But are there, um, do you feel like throughout the industry moving forward, is something that people are gravitating towards these conversations, looking for non-pharmacological? Oh yeah, I mean, the fact that there's now a sports medicine and rehab college in veterinary medicine makes a big difference. I mean, I have been doing this, talking about non-pharma through this lens for a decade now. Wow. So, and I go do it at more mainstream events, yeah. International Veterinary Emergency and Critical Care Society, I've done several things. And so, wow. um, some of it, I mean, here the audience is just primed for it, so it's easy. Like, I've got a full room and everybody's happy. Yeah. You know, I, I get to the emergency critical care meeting and it's a less full room and it's a little awkward. So, I mean, it depends <laughs> on, on the setting, but it's, I mean, it's what I've been doing for a while, so. Fast forward out five, ten years from now. Five oh, years. there should be some really good people available to replace me by about then. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you're to recruit, I am really working to replace myself, yeah. Well, I think people like you are needed in this space. We need more just good science-based conversations yeah. about what's out there and Absolutely. trying to try to read through a lot of the things that a lot of us guys put out in the market. Right, <laughs> quite honest, right. Because right. It, cause I need people to have a clear look at what they're coming into the practice. Right. I think that's the right thing to do. Right. Um, lab tomorrow. Yep. Lab is on. Um, it's basically an introduction to physical medicine modalities, okay. and I basically try to find out what the people there already do. Mm -hmm. I, I have some acupuncture needles. I can show them what it feels like to needle themselves. Gotcha. I've got some basic balance type equipment for rehab. Gotcha. I teach rhythmic stabilization. I do, um, you know, that Ublex stuff they teach now, the cornstarch? Yeah, yeah. It's a non-Newtonian fluid. <laughs> I teach myofascial palpation nice. by using something like that to show people sometimes with the fascia when you apply force that you can tell less. So a, a million things. You guys are coming and bringing a shockwave. Um, I'm sure I have somebody dropping off a laser, but it's just intended. The problem with physical medicine is you can go get certified in six different things, chiropractic and manipulation, acupuncture, right rehab, musculoskeletal ultrasounds, biologicals, all these things you can do and it's enough for a lifetime. So sometimes it's hard for people to get started and be like, yeah, I can add this in right now. Yeah. And my lab tomorrow is designed to be like, even if you don't do all this, you can actually add a couple of these non-pharma things in, like literally when you go back to your practice on Thursday. Start somewhere. Right. Beautiful thing. So yeah. that's that's what it's really for. It's pretty basic. I love it. I love it, and I think that people um, that struggled with the information overload, there's a ton of it out there these days. Right. Yeah. I mean, luckily, we have Chad GPT helping us sort through everything. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole another. That's a whole another ball of wax, isn't it? A hundred percent. So as we wrap up, please tell everybody how to find you. Any other shows that you're doing? This whole year? Any other talks that you're going to be speaking on? Um, I'm going to do a local anesthesia lab. That doesn't matter. Um, 
I'll be at the big acupuncture. There's a big combined conference for acupuncture. But I really am trying to back off, actually. Oh, really? So, oh, yeah. I've been trying for Oh, you're, years. like, serious about trying to get somebody to come in here and, and take over it. Oh, yeah. I'm really rent. hoping that some of these people are going to be, like, <laughs> sitting here in five years. So <laughs> that's what I need. Uh, well, but please tell people how to find you if you have any questions. Matt, maybe if it's your website or email. I actually pulled down my website because I can't keep up. <laughs> well, you know what? <laughs> we'll put Cindy's information in there. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, and Cindy, the, Cindy knows how to find she'll me. She'll be the gatekeeper in case anybody <laughs> needs to talk about the body. But no, this that is sounds great. good. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. You're welcome.